Hey, this is JT, and welcome to another episode of The Critical Thought. You know, many times Jehovah's Witnesses often brag about how we are the same all over the world. We will be studying the same watchtower. Well, that might be true, but it also means something else as well. And that is, you will be treated the same way all over the world. And that's what the experience that we have today of someone who really highlights that it doesn't matter what country you're in. If you're one of Jehovah's Witnesses, you will find a very similar experience. This is an experience of a person who literally grew up as a Jehovah's Witness, his father serving overseas in a different country when he was even born. And so this is someone who comes from a very, very theocratic family. And we're going to see exactly what he experienced. And we think that his experience is kind of unique because it really touches on just showing once again, every individual is life is touched in some way, some fashion by this religion. And it's not always in a positive light. Well, welcome to Jonathan as he shares with us his story. You're listening to The Critical Thought, where we challenge our listeners to use critical thinking when examining the teachings of Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay, so Jonathan, we want to welcome you to The Critical Thought. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. Glad to have you on. So, yeah, you know, Jonathan, you have such an interesting story. I mean, I've got like a three-page um, <sighs> write-up about everything you've been through and i'm sure this is not everything but right. what i'd like you to do is start out by telling our audience a little bit about you your family and you know your introduction to the jehovah's witness faith yeah okay so yeah i was born into uh being a jehovah's witness um my parents were born and raised for the most part um early stages in their life they were brought in you know their parents had somebody knock on the door and, you know, brought them in that way. Um, so I, I grew up, I was born in Central America, Honduras, and I lived there for three and a half years. Uh, at which point, you know, my dad had difficulties with, uh, employment there. And so financial difficulties and had to move to back to the UK cause my dad's British. Um, and then I spent, uh, pretty much the majority of my life there um, up until recently, you know, the last five, six years where I live in the U S. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I pretty much spent a lot of my time um, as a witness. Um, and then I started having um, issues when I was a teenager. Uh, I was baptized at 11, which looking back, never should have happened, uh, never should have been allowed for that matter. Uh, and from that point on, I, you know, the reality of life kicks in as a teen and all the peer pressures and things and, and things got really difficult. Um, school in general was hard, uh, not just for being, you know, a foreigner that didn't look like everybody else, but for being a witness, uh, there was a lot of bullying, um, a lot of issues. And so, you know, life was pretty difficult in the early years. Yeah. I, I was just wondering, you said that as a kid, um, what was the biggest challenge that you would often run into in school uh, that you personally found that you had to deal with, which is kind of people, adults, witnesses don't experience this. But as a kid, kids, as we know, kids can be cruel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it can be cruel, man. Uh, so what did you run into when you were in school? I know here in the United States, we had an issue with uh, flag salute and things of that nature, uh, singing uh, religious songs sometimes in school. How about, how was it in the UK? Because it's, it's a little different. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, my biggest issues were, number one, being a witness. Um, I, the witnesses in the UK are generally not looked upon in favor. Um, and obviously, going knocking on doors, you, you're, I was bound to run into, you know, classmates um, that lived at certain houses and you know you'd see you there and then you'd feel that instant oh no uh feeling um but then in, in school itself um there was things like assemblies and singing uh hymns um you know um church songs and 
I was, I can remember to this day that I was escorted out because my parents had instructed the teachers not to have me in those and I would be allowed to um, sing anything like that. And it just drew all the kids in the assembly hall's attention on me as like, why is this kid being dragged out? And, you know, when they realize it's because I'm a witness, it just, it just encourages more hatred. Um, some kids are okay, but for the most part, you know, you have the typical, I don't want to stereotype people, but the typical classic kid that would just focus and, and bully somebody. Um, you know, that, that was really hard. I was isolated from, from several certain things like those kind of events. Um, eventually my parents saw that, that doing that wasn't good for me. Um, but they sent me in there into the assemblies afterwards, but I was still not going to sing. So I was stood there, everybody else is singing and I'm not, and they're still looking at me. So it, it, it was still not fun in that respect for me. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of ironic, um, but, but let me make sure I understand. You were singled out. Was this like before the program started or was because everybody saw someone saw you leaving as opposed to just being on the edge and, and just heading out the back doors? It were. I mean, what was the semi where they started the program or something? Yeah, it started already. And, you know, everybody was singing and I was just stood there. And then eventually a teacher come and grabbed me and, and escorted me out to another area. And yeah, that was it. Oh wow! They put—I mean—they put you, you on blast. They you know, but you know, you would have thought that they could have planned that a little bit better because yeah. it's like the kids who will not be, you know, participating in Valentine's Day and stuff like that, and then they know right off the bat that they're going to just go to the library or some other uh, study hall area. So for them to make this uh, a theatric in front of all these kids, maybe your parents didn't tell them to do that. Maybe they decided to do that. The teachers. Maybe I I don't recall or don't remember that detail, so I'm not mm-hmm. sure what my my parents instructed at that time. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's actually as someone say it's that dreaded school brochure. Um, you you I remember. Oh my goodness, I hate when my parents would come out. My mom did anyway. Would come out and tell the teacher, you know, JT will not be doing this 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 this, and it was like, oh my goodness. Um, and that's what every witness parent was instructed to do. To go to the school, give the teacher the little brochure, and this is a list of all the things. And you would get some teachers, you know, they got 35 students, 30 students. They ain't got time to remember what every little child does and does. And I and I know parents, I know teachers who be like, oh, that's right. What you call it? Can't do this. And they'll jump up and they want to make sure they're in compliance with what the parents want. And of course, you as a child, <laughs> you're the one who gotta gotta deal with the brunt of it. And yeah, it's it it I I remember, oh man, and you would try to stand there and fake like you. Not really. You, you, you wouldn't put your hand on your heart. You just kind of stand there and, you know, because you didn't. I mean, none of us wanted to be the the, the, the one that stood out. And, and like you said, uh, you would you know some kids were cool, but there was always those ones who like they would be ready for you, especially on oh, Monday yeah. morning. You saw, yeah, if you saw them on the weekend, yeah. man, you're like, oh, man, they're going to school. <laughs> but you know what I also find? <laughs> and, and, you know, because I went to many schools being yeah. raised as a military brat. And I felt like sometimes the teachers were part of the bullying because mm. and, and that's one of my biggest things, you know, as an activist now is I like to talk to educators right now and letting you all know if you are an educator and you have a Jehovah's Witness in your class and even not just a Jehovah's Witness, any child that goes against the grain of what your society does, keep in mind that these children don't even understand right. most of the time. That what their what their beliefs are. All they are is being born in a family that has a specific type of worship, and they're going along because this is all they know. You know, as a kid, you do what you're told, and so for a child to go to a school system classroom with all their peers, and then a teacher, you know, being part of the bullying is probably one of the worst things that you could ever experience yeah you know yeah i, I agree because i i remember there will be teachers and, and you know just in talking to people and even growing up where the teacher will often ask well, well why can't you eat the cupcake 
and and witnesses kids don't understand you know the, the birthday thing and and you'll get jehovah's witness little kids they'll just say you know john the baptist got his head cut off and now they make you look like an absolute idiot in class <laughs> you don't right the head cut. and so it just it just compounds it just makes it worse. I mean, mm. and, and for people who are watching, and there will be so many people, man, watching this video who are going to be sitting here saying, you got that right. That was right. me. And, and that's why I think it's so important that people get a chance to see all around the world, anybody who fed from the Watchtower trough, they pretty much had to deal with the same things, especially as young people. Same thing. Right. Same thing. Amazing. So let's fast forward a little bit here, Jonathan, and let's kind of talk about what happened with you when you were a teenager. So what were some of the things that was going on? So, I mean, I, I, I was in high school. Uh, I guess high school in the UK is a little different because you, you kind of start at about 12 years old. Um, and then I kind of started having the same issues in, in that high school. Um, I made a few friends, um, but they, did, they didn't understand why I couldn't associate with them outside of school. And that was difficult. And I just started getting into problem after problem again with bullying. Like I would get into fights. And um, at one point I got suspended for getting into a fight with somebody because um, of the bullying. And at the time I was, I actually had um, some is health issues that I was unaware of uh, that I found out later um, when I was 17. And I was looking a little jaundice. So I, I was getting bullied for that too, on top of everything else. Um, but as time progressed, I, I went out of that school. They homeschooled me for a while. And I think it was maybe two or three months. I can't remember the length of time that I was homeschooled. And then they decided to put me in a different school um, just to do all the exams and things and get it, get it done. Uh, I was 15 at the time. and I started seeing a girl at school and I remember walking down the street with her and noticing a car of an elder driving past. And I knew straight away that he'd seen me, uh, not because of any indication. I just knew, and needless to say, you know, I was pulled up on it and everything. And, the time I didn't I didn't want to stop seeing this girl because I really liked her, and um, basically my life was made hell at that point. And you know, up until then, I was you know pretty active in the sense I was I was going on the ministry, I was serving on the the sound team uh, and helping out in other areas. Um, but I just at that point kind of disconnected from it. Um, you know, I was really starting to have doubts. Uh, and I got pulled up on the, the dating the girl and put under uh, public reproof. Uh, so all of my privileges were stripped, couldn't do anything. And I just, I, I went cold. And I went so cold to the point where I lost the relationship with the girl because I messed up. Um, and it, it just kind of went downhill from there. Uh, and uh, I got into a point where I was kind of just in limbo, I guess. And I was still living with my parents, obviously. And so they, they just kept encouraging me to, to go back. And so, you know, I kind of forced myself to do it, thinking that it was the right thing to do, because that's what you taught. Um, and so I, I started going back and at the time we were going to a, um, Spanish speaking congregation to try and help there, um, because we could speak Spanish. Um, and it just didn't, it didn't feel well, you know, and with things at work as well, cause I'd started working. Um, this is when I was about 17 and, um, I was constantly getting problems at work for bailing out on uh, shifts that I had to work on Thursdays or Tuesday nights because, you know, back then there were still the Tuesday meetings. Um, 
And then the, then I had the issue with the health where I had, I, I got severely ill and put into hospital and it was due to gallstones. Um, so I had to deal with all of that. And, you know, I, from that point, I kind of just went from like uh, the physically in mentally out stage where I was just in it to appease my parents really, or to just be able to keep that somewhat sense of normality of being able to communicate with family. Um, but it just didn't, it didn't feel good, you know? Um, and I had multiple issues in the congregation. Um, I could never do anything right. Even as hard as I tried, I was just constantly having problems. You know what, um, Jonathan, just listening to what you're saying here, the Jehovah's Witnesses take something as normal as just having a friendship or you're just interested in another person of the opposite sex. And everyone knows, because I mean, where I'm from, you know, when I was old enough to, you know, know what relationships were in high school, everybody was in some kind of a relationship. And people who were not Jehovah's Witnesses, they supported their children in relationships. They went to the prom, they went to school dances, and they just had normal relationships with people of the opposite sex. And you were made to feel like it was dirty or bad or something like that, right? Yeah. But when you were when you were dating this girl or you know in a relationship, did you do did you guys cross the, the watchtower boundaries or anything? No, no, okay. we didn't we never we never got to that point. Um we just did all the usual, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend stuff, you know, go out places, go to the movies, uh, hang out, watch stuff on TV. Um, but yeah, I was, I was really made to feel shameful about that. And it's something so normal, like you say. Yeah. Well, you see- what about the, what about the public? Re- so where did the public reproof part come in at? What, what made them put you on public reproof just for dating? Just Someone. for dating a girl that's not right. a Jehovah's Witness. What that, was the deal with that? That that's the only reason because they uh, this specific elder saw me walking with this girl hand in hand, and that was it. That's all I had to do. Oh, you yeah, were holding exactly. hands in public. Okay. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's always the same thing. <laughs> and and keep in mind, you know, you were getting baptized at eleven. Yeah. So at that point, witnesses will say, well, you know what the rules are. You knew what you were supposed to do. You know, you're 11 years old, right? Um, and that's what happens. Um, I, I remember elders would do something very similar. Uh, they would they would they would they would pull you to the side and they would ask you a very interesting question. So, uh, Jonathan, uh, which, which, what congregation is the little sister I saw you with the other day? <laughs> I mean, it's the ultimate setup, and and they, and they know based on how she was dressed, they knew she ain't no sister, right? But they were, right. you know, I mean, really skillful elders. These guys were good. They they were really good. They would just lure you round in, and 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 when they finish with you, man, they don't dice you up and slice you up in so many pieces. You know, you, you, oh my you, you don't know anything. One of the things that you mentioned, and I and I can see how that would have impacted you, was when y'all moved to a different congregation. One of the things that you never got to see was uh, your family's letter of introduction. And you can rest assured, you can rest, you can take it to the bank. Uh, Any elder worth his weight, they wrote something in the letter about you. So the moment that the elders got the letter and it said, this young man, so and so and so and so. At that point, all the elders, antennas went up, alert, alert, alert. And they just simply start alerting all the families, all the kids. You know, keep an eye on that young man. You know, he's 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 struggling right now. And and everybody knows that's that's code. He's worldly. Don't mess with him. Don't invite him over. Mm. I mean, this organization, man, has some of the they got some of the slickest stuff, man. I mean, it, it's just un, it's unreal. And so you literally walked into a lion's den, and two or three weeks after your letter got there, however nicely they treated you before the letter came, uh, you will be amazed how people are treated. After the letter of introduction arrives, where the elders explain who, what, what you did and how you did and why and all that kind of stuff. It impacts people's lives for decades. Right. 
and then too, you had um, I want to just kind of go back with with what you said about your job. So, you're you're, you're experiencing all this stuff in school, celebrate, um, you know, singing, um, church hymns at, at an assembly, and now you're dating someone that's not a Jehovah's Witness. But now you're also starting to notice that I'm having issues. I can't work a certain shift yeah, on my job. So how did yeah. you? What do you want to give an experience about something about that with to share with the audience? Yeah. So, I mean, I was actually, I was actually going through college, um, while I was doing work. Um, and I, I started off my career working in a McDonald's because that was the easiest way to, to get, you know, uh, cash and, and be able to do college at the same time. Um, but yeah, when they want you to do a, a late evening shift and it rolls into the, the meeting hours, you know, um, it would be, difficult to to explain to them and you know i guess back then it was not so much about religious rights or anything like that and it was kind of hard to justify um because you know they they do the rotors in advance and i guess i'd be forcing other people to have to take that shift and of course people frown on you for that because they're like why why am i getting getting made to do this time when this person doesn't do it at all. And there were some occasions where I just folded and said, you know what, just put me on the evening shift. And then I, you know, I started getting flack from the other side, from, you know, my parents or the elders saying, why, why are you working on meeting nights? And I could just never, I could never meet the satisfaction of either end. Um, and that was just the, the tip of the iceberg with, with uh, work interactions. You know, as I moved from a different employer, I remember there being a time when I got along with most of the guys there. And uh, we were just having, you know, a great conversation, a great time at one point. I, I remember um, somehow, some way it came up that I was, you know, a Jehovah's Witness. And I just remember seeing that guy's face. He, his total expression changed and his opinion of me and everything just completely changed. He was like, it was almost like he was looking at the devil, you know, <laughs> and I've never forgotten that to this day because it, it just made me feel totally worthless. Like all of this time I built that relationship with that person and now I'm just, you know, no, nothing better than pretty much something on the side of the road. Now, you yeah, know you do it. Yeah, you do it. Right. Yeah. You know what? Now, let, let's kind of keep on this. Let's keep on the track of the, of the employment right now. We're going we're gonna to come out of, out of bounds a little bit. We're not, we're not, we're going to come out of the linear discussion of when you were a kid, but let's kind of double click on, you know, your employment situation now, because you're from the UK, <laughs> but you're living in the United States now. <laughs> Do you want to give us a little bit of history about how the Jehovah's Witnesses and these meetings are were coming up to affect you here in the States? So that's kind of an interesting part. So when I came here, I was inactive for a very long time. Um, and I occasionally go to things like uh, the memorial or special meetings uh, just because my parents would twist my arm and I would be made to feel like I'm missing out on the ends near and everything, you know, that we here. Um, but I was I was working uh, in IT for a long time. That's what I went to college for and did everything. And thankfully, my parents were fairly supportive of that, which these days, you know, education's frowned on. Um, but I, I got this job with an American company and I was based in the UK and I was doing really well and turns things just happened. So my boss left and he basically vouched for me to come and take his position. And so I went through all of the, the visa process and everything and was approved for it and got brought over. And, you know, from that point, it, I was completely on my own. I, I knew nobody here other than 
obviously work colleagues, which I had some relationship with them. But at the same time, I was their boss. So it's kind of hard to have that kind of relationship with, you know, somebody that you manage. Um, and so the, the time went on and I was having um, regular, fa- you know, FaceTime calls with my parents because that's the only people I could really talk to. Um, and they just kept kind of poking at me, you know, why don't you go and find the kingdom hall that's close to you and, and talk to the brothers. And it kind of loomed over me and I just kept thinking to myself, well, maybe it's different here. I'm in a completely different country. I'm four about 4,000 miles away from home. And, you know, people here are definitely different in that respect. They're a lot nicer. Um, I hate to, you know, classify the British people as kind of um, stuck up or anything, but that's my experience, at least living there for that length of time. Um, so I, I eventually gave in and I found it and I went and at first I was kind of, I felt okay. You know, I was welcomed in, you know, um, but then as the time progressed and I kept going, I got back into the same cycle, you know, and they were trying to get me to do a Bible study and trying to get me to do the ministry and more. And then I, uh, I just felt pressured and they didn't seem to understand that, you know, I had a very demanding job that I can't just drop things for. I mean, my employer paid a huge amount of money to get me over here and I couldn't just leave that. And so I had difficulties with that already. And so, you know, things went on and I thought to myself, all right, if I'm really going to make a go of this, I need to come clean about stuff because that's what I kept being told to do. So I did. I talked to one of the elders and I said to him, you know, I got it. I got stuff I need to get off my chest. Um, and so I was pulled up in, in front of a judicial committee and I'd never experienced that before. Um, it felt like I was being interrogated by the police. If I was being honest, um, it was not a pleasant experience at all. Uh, you know, so I, I told them everything. I was questioned about things in detail. And, um, you know, they sent me out and they were basically talking amongst themselves and making a decision. And, you know, I wasn't disfellowshipped, but I was put under proof. And that felt, well, I didn't feel good. You know, I didn't feel like I was being welcomed. And in the end, it felt like they just weren't trying to help me anymore. Like they just kind of washed their hands of me. And, you know, I I don't know what happened there. But it got to the point where I thought, no, I can't do this anymore. This is not what I expected. Um, I thought it was going to be different. It's exactly the same. And I... I ousted myself. I was like, I'm done with this. I I don't want to continue down this path of life because it doesn't feel good. Um, And so I I did the formal thing and did the letter and handed it in. And they, they did the process. And at the time I hadn't told my parents and eventually I would have done. um, But I was trying to build up, courage and you know muster it up to to talk to him about it and that got taken away from me somehow some way it found its way back to the uk to them and then the next thing i know i'm getting a text message from my dad basically saying you know what you've done we're incredibly unhappy with you um consider this the last communication from us um and that was it for a very long time just just a quick question. So how long had you been because um, you were approved like when you was around 15? How long had you received all your privileges back before you ran into the second committee of elders that you had to deal with? I never got my privileges back. Um, I was constantly in a in and out stage after that point where I would go back maybe for a few months 
or something and then go inactive for a year or so. And all of, within this time, I still had communication with family. It was somewhat normal. Um, it got to the point where my parents wouldn't talk to me about things, uh, about the witnesses or uh, the religion in general, because they knew how I felt about it. They didn't pressure me in that sense. Um, yeah. Kind of grateful for that. But they, every now and again, would drop something just to try and kind of incentivize me to do something. And that would be what would kind of bring me back for a temporary period. Yeah. Do, do you know if the elders try to get in contact with your former congregation of elders? Because generally that's what they'll do. And of course, many times there's no records of the records they can't do. They'll, they'll just move forward. I've, I've known them do that as well. But many times they'll try to, let's, we're gonna, we want to write your old congregation. Do you know if they try to do that by any chance? I, I'm not 100% sure, um, but I would have imagined so. I would imagine they probably would have got in touch with the Bethel at London and try to get records from that way. Yeah. So basically they end up just reaffirming the, the um, reproof that the other congregation had, had established. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. But like, let me ask you this. When you um, decided to, because you said you ousted yourself and just for our audience, I'm just clarifying that you wrote a, a letter of disassociation. Right. That's what you did. Okay. That's what I did. Now, yeah. when when you did that at that point, had you been on the internet to do any research about this religion? Were you just doing this sheerly on your personal experience, or had you experience. had you been educating yourself about the group? No, I'd I'd never really looked into things until after that point because. When my dad did that text message like that, I was, I was furious. I was really angry. And I guess I just couldn't understand how a parent that's connected by blood, you know, DNA, would just be able to shut somebody out like that based on a religious teaching. And at that point is where I started to kind of just dive more into it, really. Because there was a lot of stuff that I never really understood. And then the more I kind of digged into it, the more my eyes are opened. And I now I never look back. Like I, I would I could I could never go back to that. It would I'd prefer to jump off a cliff, to be truthfully honest. <laughs> But, you know, it's interesting that you now that, you know, I'm getting a light bulb moment here in what you're saying, too, because when you are raised as one of Jehovah's Witnesses and in my family, my mother never went back to reinforce what I learned at the Kingdom Hall. So I don't I don't know if she understood what I understood or what I was comprehending. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of times we just think we're just taking our kids to the meeting mm-hmm. yeah. and they're just sitting there. But if your parents don't really say, hey, Johnny, hey, Kathy, did you did you understand what the brother said from the platform? Do you understand why we don't celebrate holidays? Why we don't do these things? They just assume you're at the meeting. So you understand. Oh, yeah. But like you're saying. How could my father cut me off? How could he cut off his bloodline? Yeah. yeah. So, so just listening to you talking, it's like we just assume that everybody mm. understands that. You know what I mean? Right. right. So once you got on the Internet and you were able to do research, um, what, what's kind of going through your mind? Are you are you are you connecting dots better? Yeah, I'm telling you. Yes, on that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I came across you guys and I started watching all of your content and I was like, wow. Uh, you know, like you said, connecting the dots. And I'm yeah. like, I never thought about that before. Um, and I, for things, for example, I never knew because one of the big things that was kind of stuck in my mind was why did they disfellowship people? Like, so I kind of dug into that. I came across your video as well. and. I never knew that they published something back in 1947 about basically just bashing Catholics about their excommunication practice. 
And then four or five years later, witnesses start doing it. And I'm like, that's not right. How, how can you do that? And I mean, they'll, they'll try and defend it all day saying that this fellowshipping is different. But when you look at the, the same, you know, side by side, it's exactly the same thing. So that, you know, that was one big thing for me. And then I started to think more about things like, you know, at the conventions when the governing body would release things like New Light. And then I started thinking back about previous New Light. And I'm like thinking to myself, how could the one true religion keep altering its beliefs to fit today's agenda or today's world circumstances? And, you know, just for for a recent thing that I, I found out, for example, like I know that they're right now, they're focusing on the Ukraine and Russia being the king of the north. And I never really understood any of that. But just the fact that they were focusing on it and saying that Russia is the king of the north. And then I looked it up. And in the past, they had tagged Germany, Hitler, and Italy and the Catholic Church as the king of the north. So I'm like, how can this stuff keep changing? It either is or it isn't. And it's all of this stuff that I kept finding that it's like, it, it came, became clear to me that this is not divine influence on eight people at work. This is human opinion. And I'm not going to follow that. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, it's like anybody who does computer code, you know, ones and zeros, it's either is or not. It, it, there is no right. in between. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's and that's really kind of I, my lady C and I, we often laugh. That's kind of how our channel came about. Uh, we just never critically thought about a lot of the stuff that we were taught. Uh, uh, like she said, parents just assume, well, you were at the Kingdom Hall with me. So you <laughs> heard it. And, and, and that's what they'll tell kids. You, you heard the same thing I heard. But the yeah. difference is I didn't understand the thing they were saying. And those, those exactly. are two different things. I, I heard it, but I didn't understand it. And that's kind of the way it, that's kind of the way it works in, 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 in the witness religion. People are sitting in the audience hearing this stuff, but for most of the friends, like you said, uh, the king of the north, average witness can't explain. And that's why today it's just wonderful. I mean, it's wonderful today because all you got to do is say, Go to JW.org. You don't have to be able to explain anything today. So they're 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 literally developing a lower uh, cognitive audience than they had in the past. I mean, yeah. I mean, think, I mean, when I was coming along, and you remember I me, mean, we had all that kind of stuff—the wheel inside of a wheel, and the eyes in the rim. But today, the <laughs> witness just you know, as one as one witness told us, it's like cotton candy, cotton candy. It's not steak and potatoes. <laughs> and, and then, you know, and then, too, in your experience, Jonathan, I also find that it's not until you get a bad experience that you actually begin to research, that you begin to open your eyes up to what's going on around you at the Kingdom Hall. Now, you mentioned that you guys were in a Spanish congregation in the UK. Um, before you went to that congregation, were there very many young people? in the congregation that you came from and how about the number of young people in the Spanish congregation? There was not that many. Um, of my age, there might've been one or two, mm. um, but there were girls. Um, in terms of boys, they were very young or, you know, four or five years younger than me at that time. And then in the Spanish congregation, there was two. Um, wow. One, one boy and one girl that were a similar age. So there's really not much like, you know, you're encouraged to try and make friends amongst the witness kids, but there's not, you know, if you don't gel with that person either, you're kind of stuck. So mm -hmm. big time. And, and, and not only that, but just listen to what you're saying. And I, and I feel the same way because we didn't have that many in, in my congregation either. Um, but see, then there's the isolation there. You know, you got one or two people there. They're not the same age. They don't have the same interests. But because you're Jehovah's Witnesses, you're supposed to be, you know, looking at them as people that you can actually, you know, be be around. And I remember this one um, friend of mine who I, I look at today that even if she left the Jehovah's Witnesses, 
I would not want to be friends with her because she was toxic. Um, mm-hmm. She was very jealous. She was um, one of those people that was always one up on somebody. So even if she wasn't a witness, that would have probably been her personality type. So, mm-hmm. you know, but then you're thrust into this group of people and now you're expected that this is going to be your playmates or your association, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, what about, um, no, we talked, you talked about moving from the UK to the United States. You're talking to your parents. This is your, um, the, your communication, your channel of communication is your parents over 4,000 miles away. Right. So um, when you moved to the United States, how did you eventually um, begin to meet people and feel like you could be a part of some type of a community? Mm-hmm. So I started to really just interact more with uh, work colleagues. You know, um, after work, we'd go out for drinks or, you know, we'd get um, a, a dinner somewhere at a restaurant and, and just interact that way. And I typically always felt easier with people outside of the congregation. Like I could just talk to them like normal. I didn't feel like I had to keep up. I don't want to say like a fake appearance, but try and be something that I'm not. Um, And for that reason, I just gelled well. And, you know, I have pretty good relationship with a lot of people at work today. And I know I've made quite a few friends that are not at my company. Um, And I don't do things like golf and play baseball and stuff like that. And it's just great. I, I, just feel like myself um, and I've been able to develop multiple relationships like that. And, and it's good to hear you say that because if you were going to a therapist and you begin to tell them about how bad your life was or how depressed you are, you know, the first thing they're going to start to ask you is, you know, what is your life like? What are you doing in your life? And then when people start talking about their lives as Jehovah's Witnesses, how there's always some kind of detective or elder, you know, sleuthing around in their lives, trying to find out what they're doing bad so that they can now get them disfellowship. And they always feel like they're under some kind of radar yeah. where someone's going to turn them in at the drop of a hat. Yeah. So that could be really stressful for just anybody, yeah. you know? So um, I know exactly how you feel, because when I worked in my previous jobs, I got a chance to go out to lunch and dinner with coworkers and just be able to be myself. And nobody was trying to probe in my life to find out what I was doing, right. what I wasn't doing yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it felt like you say it was just constant state of feeling judged and monitored, like under a microscope all the time. and. That to me was just no fun, no way of living. Yeah. The interrogation always continues. <laughs> yeah. So then um now what are what are you currently doing? Are you currently married now? I've been yeah, I've been married for three years. Um we have a foster child right now that we're going to adopt uh, at some point soon. So um everything's pretty much set in place and going really well right now. Um, You know, nobody's life's perfect, obviously, but this is the happiest I've ever been um, in comparison to the rest of my early child, you know, childhood years and adulthood, I guess. Now, now, so you say you're married and everything. So how did you meet your wife and what was the, (laughs) can you give us a little bit of history about, you know, because I'm assuming your wife is not one of Jehovah's Witnesses because you disassociated. So you want to give us a little bit of story and, you know, what does she think about the religion and how did all those turn of events happen? Sure. So um, we met through eHarmony. So, uh, and you know, I, I just went for a dating service and i thought you know if i'm gonna do this i'm gonna i'm gonna try it you know and go full fledged in so i, I scoped them all out and i thought eHarmony seems like a good one you know you pay for the service you're gonna get a genuine person hopefully on the other side and we matched through all of the questions that it asks you and you know we we had our first date and things just went really well um we gelled really well so the site did his job and um, we dated for 
for about a year and then we got engaged and after that we uh we eloped and you know we just both agreed that that was like the best way just under the radar kind of thing no family friends just went to the courthouse and, and got married and made a really good day of it um but throughout the, the time that i'd been dating colleen she obviously had questions about my parents because she knew that something wasn't right because every time she brought them up i would get upset like i would get physically visually like distraught and you know don't want to talk about it kind of thing um and eventually i caved and i, I told her like i i didn't want to tell you this because i was afraid of rejection because in the past that had been an issue um and she was pretty understanding like because she, you know she deeply cared for me and she loved me and and she didn't have an issue with it but she didn't fully understand things until i really explained it to her and when i did like every other person she just thought it was ridiculous you know she couldn't understand how parents could just disconnect from a child because of their beliefs um and just shut them out completely uh, and she was pretty angry about the whole thing too um and then you know things kind of were difficult for her too because she's to this day she's never met them i mean she's talked to them uh through you know video chat but my parents had an opportunity to meet her in person back in 2020 january and this is how strongly she feels about the situation because at the time this was just before covid um she basically said to them look it's fine that you want to talk to, uh, to Jonathan now and you can meet me but if you're not going to continue this kind of normal interaction i don't want to i don't want to even do this and parents didn't cave and for that reason she never got to meet them in person um which is sad because you know you would think they'd want to meet their daughter-in-law in person um they you know neither party never got the opportunity and I, I feel sorry for my wife more than anything um you know she's she's had that stolen from her to a degree um but you know covid changed things a little bit but it's not it's not the same obviously so i mean to this day she she doesn't like the situation she doesn't hate my parents but she definitely doesn't like the whole she has a very fond i don't want to say hatred but getting close to that of religion and the witnesses for the situation that it put me in oh yeah the witnesses man i'm gonna tell you um your wife not having a relationship we know people like yourself they have children uh, their children have not met their grandparents because of the stand that they take. And like you said, they don't back down. And this is, this is, and this is, this is shocking to people who don't, who are not familiar with this. I mean, they're like, what? And especially the reason, because they're seeing you as basically an honest person, get up, go to work every day. You ain't trying to move, you know, three or four kilos every month. You know, you, you, you're a good person. And they're trying to understand, okay, now what is he doing that's so bad that his mom and his daddy don't want to talk to him and they don't see it. And that's what causes people who are not witnesses to literally be able to sympathize. Like you said, you, you were afraid to tell her because you know how it is. And the experience you had is very, very common when you share. And we tell people, talk to people who you don't, who are not witnesses. And you will be shocked how they are like, they will be understanding like, man, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. Right. And the what support about, they'll give you okay. is, go ahead. Oh, I'm so sorry. Keep going. The support they give you is what now? No, I was just saying the oh, support. Wait, wait. You ready? Mm -hmm. Okay. And so the support that they will give you is 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 really unreal, and that's what makes this thing work. Mm. Right. Well, I was going to ask the question. You mentioned that you all dated for a year. She would ask you questions about your family. When did she find out that you were dealing with the Jehovah's Witness? 
issue. Was it before or after you got married? It was before. I, okay. I, uh, I mean, it was probably about six months in. Um, she had moved in with me and she'd been living with me for about three months. And I just couldn't, I couldn't keep it anymore to myself. You know, it yeah. wasn't fair on her. And, you know, I, I caved and I, I told her everything and she was incredibly understanding um, and supportive of me. She, she obviously doesn't get why they, they treat me the way they do. Um, but, yeah, and what about the what about therapy? Did you did you did you ever um, decide to talk to a therapist about your situation? Because, you know, you're really dealing with a lot here. It's not just, you know, dealing with your parents, not talking to you and everything. It's about the the issues that you had in your childhood, your formative years where you had these bad experiences that could actually just come back to just haunt you at any time mm-hmm. when something could trigger that, you know, something in your day to day life could just trigger one of those experiences. So did you ever get any help at any time? I didn't. Um, in hindsight, I wish I had, uh, it would have helped a lot. Um, but what I did instead was just threw myself head forward into my career and just focused on that and, and kind of let that be the distraction. And, you know, I have, as you probably see from the background, I have a lot of hobbies. Um, so I kept myself, um, kind of just busy and not allowing myself to think about it really. Um, and that's, I guess that's kind of been how I've been in the past, you know, because something I have not mentioned is my brother and sister have pretty age, big age gaps between us. You know, my sister is, um, she's going to be 46 and my brother is 52, I believe, or 51. So we have pretty big gaps. So I, I was, I kind of felt like, I didn't have really any, I don't want to say siblings, but not kids that I would play and interact with. Like, you know, kids of two or, or you know, a small age gap. Um, and so I've been pretty self-sufficient in the sense of being able to just be my own friend, I guess, because of experiences in life. Um, and I use that to keep me sane to a degree. Yeah. Um but you know, I've we've talked recently about um, getting uh, me going to see an individual therapist because it's had an impact to a degree on my ability to be a parent. Um, you know, I'm not saying I'm a bad parent, but there's a lot of things that I, I guess, subconsciously still have issues with, and it, it reflects in the way that I am you know, a parent to to the foster child that we're going to adopt so um you know we're doing therapy for him as a group and a lot of the things that i discussed with the therapist for him are actually issues with me um so it there's still lingering issues there um so yeah in in answer to your question it has come up and i think i am going to do it because i think it'd be beneficial to me Absolutely, because I hear what you're saying. You're saying, do you see all these um, uh, things behind me, my guitars or whatever? And you're looking at it from an angle of, I found something to keep myself busy. And mm-hmm. eventually it's going to come full circle. Mm-hmm. So you're, 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 you're giving yourself things to do. You're, you're, you're making yourself busy and you're trying not to um, address the underlying current in your life, which is a good thing to do things and keep your mind off of it. But you really need to, like you said, get that therapy to, mm-hmm. to be able to talk through it. Um, I think that's why I, I love our channel so much, because the feedback that we get from people that when they um, hear experiences like yours, uh, a lot of times it's like um, they're like, that's my exact situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I went through that. Yeah. And to, to, to hear someone else relate the experience and maybe a lot of people may not be able to express it the way some of our guests have and they've been able to explain it and it really just unravels the situation for them to say wow somebody else went through the same thing I did but they even encapsulated the story to fit what I was dealing with and it's and, and I think this is therapy too just being on a 
uh, a program like this and yeah. telling people and it's therapy for you and the person receiving it. Yeah. And I mean, that's, yeah. that's partially why I reached out to you guys because I wanted my experience to be useful to somebody else. And it because, will be, you know, getting cut off from family and friends is devastating. The, the feeling is unlike anything else. Um, it's like having your heart ripped out literally. And to a degree, you know, being 4,000 miles away with nobody else made it a degree worse. Um, and, you know, I got through it. I, and I'm, like I said before, I'm the happiest I've ever been. And, you know, I, the way that the witnesses paint the world is not real. You know, they painted it as a, as a wicked place that there's nothing good out there. You can't enjoy or have happiness outside of the witnesses. It's just simply not true. Um, you know, so for anybody that is going through a similar life experience, I, I hope it's beneficial to them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Lady C often refers to one of the references that the Watchtower made that you cannot live a normal life. And so as a result of that, that's what we never lived. We never lived a normal life of just interacting and dealing with people and having friends and doing things without this thing hanging over our head of you are not doing enough. Mm -hmm. um, this 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 constant run faster, jump higher is what drives witnesses literally crazy because right. you will never jump high enough and you will never run fast enough. And right. so you will find yourself literally just in the hamster wheel. We've seen the hamster wheel. He will never get to the end of the wheel. He'll just keep spinning around. And that's the way it is for the life of a Jehovah's witness. They literally, and right. that's very important what you made the point about. Um, you recognize that um with helping your, your, your foster child, it ends up helping you. And that's yeah. why, you know, we talk to people for many people when they come on a program like this and we see on other channels as well. Oftentimes that is literally the first time these individuals have ever told their story, just talk through what their life was like. And, and it's amazing. Like Lacey said, the feedback you get, like, and I just never realized, you know, how this thing just really threw me for a loop growing up as a kid into my adulthood, into the type of relationships I've had, uh, husband, wives, girlfriends. It, it impacts every aspect of our life because it becomes literally what we make decisions on. And that's really the thing. Everything you make, every decision that we make, basically speaking, is always made in the context of the watchtower. Almost practically everything, careers, jobs, clothes, music, mm -hmm. everything is mm -hmm. always in that context for the most part. Well, I know for me, just a trigger word when we left the religion or trigger days on the calendar were meeting nights. You know, it's like when mm -hmm. Tuesday, when we were, when we first left the religion, it was like if somebody invited us out on a Tuesday or Thursday night, I was like, that's my night. I ain't got to go nowhere on a Tuesday or Thursday. Oh my God. Or when we had to go to college and we yeah. had to go in person, it was like, don't be on a Tuesday or Thursday. Make it any night but that. But it was like, it was, it was, it was kind of crazy when you yeah. think about it. It was. How yeah. you're thinking about those nights were like, oh, dreadful. Yeah. You know, I didn't want to go nowhere on Tuesday and Thursday night. You know? <laughs> right. I mean, the one thing. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, nah, the one thing I was going to say is the one thing that's been constant throughout my entire life and experience being a, wit a witness is that I always felt like I was living a life with a loaded gun to my head. And I'm not sure if that's how others have felt, but the constant fear that was putting to me, like if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, you know, going on the doors, trying to do everything you can, doing, you know, keep doing more and more and more that you're going to be destroyed. And I mean, that's, again, that's no way of living, you know, and that was one of the things that I ended up researching after I, you know, disassociated. And I was like, this, this can't be right. How, how can a, a loving God, you know, want to destroy you just because you want to live a happy life? It doesn't make sense. You know, parents, when they have kids can be selfless and giving, you know, you don't hold your kids to ransom 
once you've had them and like if you're not going to do what i tell you to do you're going to die i'm going to kill you that's that's not how it works so how is it that humans can do that but god expects different and you know that was one of the revelations i came to and i it was again one of those things living in fear all all the time of being a witness yeah, that can be very, very stressful. And 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 when you're raised as one of Jehovah's Witnesses, um, because this is all you know, uh, for people that are born in especially, and um, <clears throat> when they reinforce that, and um, yeah. you think it's normal to 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 for people to treat people like that. I mean, I know you said that it didn't seem right, but um, it's like a cognitive dissonance thing going on. Yeah. You know, it's not right, but you know it is right. Because you know they keep telling you it's the truth. This is the truth. And so then they keep on saying it's the truth. This is the right thing to do. But then the human side comes out and you're like, but wait a minute. That ain't, that don't seem right. So you're constantly having that struggle. But with your wife, you know, um, I know it has to be difficult for her because when you, when you get married, let's say you're, let's say you got two people coming together and one person, they never really had that family structure that they always wanted. So they find Mr. Wright or Miss Wright, and they're like, oh, I'm going to get married. I'm going to finally marry into a family where the family is going to have a good family family background. How about your wife? Are her parents still living? Does she have a good relationship with her family? What's that like? So on my wife's side, uh, both her parents are still alive. They are divorced. Um, so she has obviously some of her own upbringing uh, trauma from from that experience. Um, but from her dad's side, you know, her dad was raised Catholic and to this day wants nothing to do with religion because he had a very bad negative experience with his upbringing due to, you know, being raised Catholic. Um, on you know Colleen's mom's side, she's not really religious in any way, um, and for that reason, Colleen's kind of just she is the way she is. She's kind of neutral in that sense. Um, you know, she respects other people's beliefs, um, but into specific things like JWs, she wants nothing to do with it. So we see very clearly eye to eye on that, which is great. Well, that's good. And what about family reunions or family get togethers on your wife's side? Are you all um, involved with her family in that manner and holidays and stuff? Because, you know, you can't do that in your family. No, no, I can't. Uh, No, no, it's been really nice. Um, You know, we we do the Thanksgiving. um, We go around for Christmas and, you know, Mother's Day, Father's Day, all of these great things. You know, I have a blast with um, Halloween with the kid and just, you know, getting him dressed up and having fun. It's that's what it's about. Yeah. So many basic, just so many basic things. I mean, you know, it's just, just, just like I said, things are just normal. Saturday morning, kids going out to the soccer field or going to play little league or whatever, just normal stuff. You know, instead witness kids are dressed up in, you know, three piece suit and tie on a vest. I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You eight years old. And you eight years old. You you eight years old with a briefcase in your hand. I mean, I I, I look back, man. I I mean, it's amazing, man, because I I look back and it's it's hard to believe because when I was growing up, you couldn't get the little cool portfolios to carry. You had to carry a man-sized bag, and you looked like like a fool out there. I mean, just it was it was crazy, but we didn't know, and that's the whole thing. Now that we do, as as they say, you know, know better, do better. And so that's really what it's all about. That's I don't true. like wearing ties to this day. <laughs> for that see, reason. see, they're trigger. Triggers, and and, yeah, and we and we yeah. noticed that too. Like yeah. anything, anything you could not do yeah. in the Jehovah's Witnesses, you did it. And yeah. one of the things I did was I immediately replaced my entire wardrobe with pants. I would have slacks. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I just did not wear dresses and stuff, you know. And so um, it was just crazy, you know. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. It, is, it is amazing, yeah. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's just amazing. So, Jonathan, do you have any parting words or any words of wisdom that you would like to share? Anything that we didn't discuss in your story and with our audience? Uh, I guess, you know, for anybody else out there in similar situations, you know, the... It's lighter on the other side for sure. 
you know, it's not the painted picture that the witnesses paint. Um, and things will be rough initially from the separation, but they will get better and continue to get better. You know, there is a lot to enjoy in life. And, you know, not everybody's situation is the same, um, but you can definitely make it your own and, you know, just live your life out to the fullest that you want. Um, so, you know, I, I, I know that this may eventually somehow find its way back to my parents somehow in one way or another. I really don't know, but I've come to peace with, you know, leaving that part of my life behind and moving forward. And that would be my advice to anybody else there out there that's in a similar situation. Look forward, not backwards. Yeah, that's what a lot of people uh, we interview say. They realize that um, someone may run across this video and see their son, their daughter, but they're at peace because they're at the point in their life where they realize, you know, I cannot change. I cannot pull my parents out. I can't pull my sister out or brother out. They will each have to do their own critical thinking and come to their own conclusions like I have. And um, I, I think I think that is so important. And, and the point that you made, which is what we stress all the time, that there is life outside of Watchtower. It really is. It really is. <laughs> right. So, Jonathan, would you like if, if, if there's anybody that wants to talk to you and ask questions, would you be willing to um, leave an email with us that we can yes, put sure. in the description? Yeah, and yeah. If somebody who could kind of like relate to your story might want to reach out and yeah. kind of talk to you. Yeah, no problem at all. Okay. Thank you so much. All right. So we hope that you all enjoyed this discussion with Jonathan. And if you would like to learn more, um, maybe connect with him because you have some questions about his story or maybe you know him from the UK and you're a PMO and you want some help. We're going to leave his email address in the, in the description below. And this has been Lady C. And this has been JT. And thank you so much for being in our audience. All right. Take care. This program was sponsored by Critical Thinkers.